wrestling fans, are you ready? This is Tuesday. You people bought a ticket to see me, so shut up. Wrestling Tuesday with Jonathan Hood. First of all, Dusty Rose, I think what you are is a big, ugly, low-class, redneck goose. That's what I think you are. Yeah, I put it. I know I put it. But I'm most of all the baddest man around in the world today. Follow the show at Wrestling TWT on Twitter and Instagram. But remember, my fireflies, as always, I'll light the way. And all you have to do is let me in. Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. The bottom line is, in all my magnificent, you're going to be mine. Here's Jonathan Hood. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. My name is Jonathan Hood. Follow the show on Instagram and on Twitter at WrestlingTWT. Again, WrestlingTWT as we build our TWT tribe one person at a time. If you're a wrestling fan or know of one, tell them. Tell them that Jonathan Hood talks wrestling Tuesday, wrestling Tuesday, every Tuesday. We drop you some fresh content on the world of professional wrestling slash sports entertainment slash variety show. Because that's where one wrestling company decided to go into, into a variety show. So we'll talk about Hell in a Cell. We'll talk about my disdain for AEW and some other news and notes for you as we move forward here on this edition of TWT. Don't forget to go to our YouTube page as well, youtube.com, if you missed some of our content. Thanks so much for checking out our YouTube page, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. You can catch me uh, every morning with David Kaplan for Cap and J. Hood mornings between 7 and 10 a.m. Central Time on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. If you're listening on the ESPN Chicago app, thanks so much for downloading the podcast wherever you are downloading this podcast. Thanks so much for checking in with us as we try to give you the best in pro wrestling conversation. All right, let's start with Hell in a Cell. You know, it is interesting. There's so much conversation on social media about the WWE Vince McMahon and the WWE have been polarizing for a long time. The WWE has been polarizing since Vince McMahon took over the company from his dad. It's really been that polarizing from the beginning with him running shows in the Northeast and Madison Square Garden and turning WrestleMania into not just a wrestling show, but a spectacular, a spectacle. Ever since he took over the company, there's always been something. Steroid trial issue. Uh, issues with wrestlers trying to take money from Vince right before they go on, like the Ultimate Warrior and holding him up for money, to Hogan and the 
whole issue that McMahon had with Hogan back and forth. Issues with Mick Foley, issues with Shawn Michaels, issues with Bret the Hitman Hart on the screw job. I mean, on and on and on. Chapter and verse, many wrestling fans know how polarizing Vince McMahon the WWE is. And one of the things you get here today, as you've had for years now, is I don't understand what's going on on Raw. I don't understand what's going on on SmackDown. This storyline is stupid. Why are these matches so short? Or why is this match taking three segments? There's always something. But the thing is, is that no matter what is going on with this company, whether it's low ratings because they're right up against Monday Night Football on Mondays or the World Series on Fridays or the NBA or whatever event, presidential election in the United States, whatever is happening, the WWE continues to churn out content. You may not like that content. You might find it interesting. You might find it compelling. You might find it harmful. Point is, though, is that they just continue to just keep rolling, no matter the ups and downs that we clearly see in this company. And something else that's always a constant, maybe always is too strong. More times than not, instead of saying always, more times than not, the WWE will deliver. Here's Hell in a Cell that took place in Orlando, Florida at the Thunderdome, right? And the matches that meant something delivered in Hell in a Cell. Now, I'm not a big fan of how like the majority of the matches are in a cell, but you can understand the rivalries that maybe were settled, maybe not settled at Hell in a Cell. Anything you question, just remember, you get to the pay-per-view, and more times than not, the WWE is going to deliver. And guess what? They delivered again. They delivered again. So let's go through it. The best match on Hell in the Cell was Sasha versus Bayley for the championship, SmackDown Women's Championship, and that stole the show. And I'm here to tell you that I wasn't sure what else Sasha and Bayley can do because we've seen that match before. If you've listened to this podcast, you've heard me say, Sasha versus Bailey. you know that there's going to be a turn. You know Bailey's going to turn on Sasha. And then when they had this match, what else can they do? Well, we saw it at Hell in a Cell. We saw it. I can tell you that I was wrong and there was another gear with these two. They were the best match on the card. These two have been able to lay out their rivalry. You could see it coming. You just didn't know when when the turn was going to happen, and Sasha Banks delivers. Sasha Banks, still, as we talk about this on October 27th, is still underrated to me. There's so much talk about Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch. You know, Sasha still is underneath to me. And I know that sounds crazy if you are a Sasha stan and you're like, oh, no, Sasha's the best. Sasha's the best. You know, in a, in a, I, every time I see her in the ring, it's like I see Aaliyah, the late Aaliyah, the um, singer who died in a plane crash way too young. Every time I see Sasha, I see Aaliyah. As a matter of fact, I think some of her Instagram pictures, Sasha has made that parallel to Aaliyah as well, if you remember her uh, back in the 90s. But I'm watching Sasha and Bailey, and they're working. You know, Bailey also, uh, who had a really long reign as champion, also has more to give. Also is very good, excellent as a heel. 
Didn't think that she'd work out as a heel. You could see the range in Bailey. She was a John Cena babyface to me. Marketable babyface. And look where she's come from being that person that was a babyface. Squeaky, white meat babyface. To this hated heel. Where on social media, where everyone else is against, or they all turned on Bailey because Bailey turned on them. This has all worked out well. Where I thought with my pro wrestling eyes, my wrestling eyes, I looked at Sasha Banks and Bailey and said, well, we've seen this matchup. What's the difference? But here's the key to Michael Cole, who I'm not a fan of. But there's certain things that Michael Cole, as the play-by-play man, says in the WWE, especially on Hell in a Cell. You know what he said in the broadcast? If you go back and listen, he said in the broadcast that Sasha and Bailey have taken on one another, but that was just competition. This is a rivalry. This is hatred between the two or something along those lines. That resonated with me watching the broadcast because I'm like, yeah, Michael, that's right. Sasha and Bailey did have previous matches, but Michael said that was just competition. But this is a rivalry or something along those lines. And I'm like, you know what? He's right. Because that match that we saw on Sunday night at Hell in the Cell was not like the other matches that we saw. That match took a lot of time, and everything was pinpoint, and Sasha is a bump machine. She took a lot of bumps to win that championship on Sunday. A lot of bumps. But well-deserved from Sasha and Bayley. Well-deserved kudos. Whatever they get, give them all the flowers because they stole Hell in the Cell. To the point where, in hindsight, you could understand why that could have been the last match on the card. Even over the Universal and WWE Championships and everything else, that match seemed to continue to linger in my mind as I record this with you here on Tuesday. It is amazing how good Sasha and Bayley were. Sasha Banks has been laid out on the ladder by the SmackDown Women's Champion, Bayley. They have a can of spray paint? Wow. Disrespect. X marks the spot, the scene of the crime, the disintegration of the friendship, and Bailey looking to cement herself as one of the greatest champion, if not the greatest champion in history. And Sasha rolls out of the way. Bailey now driving the chair into herself as she bounced off the ladder. And now Sasha with a meteora from the ladder to the corner. Bailey's in trouble. And now Banks with a belly to belly under the ladder using Bailey's move. Cover, hook of the leg, kick out by the champion. It could have been poetic justice, but it simply wasn't meant to be. And now if you're Sasha Corey, you're doubting yourself now. Oh, you wonder what you got to do to put the champ away. I guarantee it. That's what I was talking about earlier. Sasha Banks on the outside. But let's look once again. Banks, no doubt about that one. Launching herself into Bailey and then utilizing Bailey's own maneuver of Bailey to belly. We nearly had a new champ, but almost doesn't count inside Hell in a Cell. And Sasha is irate over the fact that she couldn't put Bailey away. Sasha again cannot let, let frustration take control of her emotions. She's come too far in this. 
Once upon a time, the boss was the most, most ruthless competitor in WWE, male or female. She Ooh. needs to find that again. And Bailey oh. with a running knee. It looked like Sasha was going for the backbreaker. Bailey able to counter it. Now Bailey with a Bailey to Bailey. Cover now to retain the title after a brutal match. And Sasha kicks out. Goes faceless off the chair. And now Sasha. No, 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 no. No, no. Oh, my God. Looks like Look at this. Bank statement with the chair around Bailey's neck. The champ's in trouble. Sasha stomping on the chair. Bailey's Bailey taps out. Sasha's the champion. That Sasha used the chair around the face of Bailey, much like Bailey tried to enter Sasha a number of weeks ago to win the championship. Great match, great finish. Sasha, the new SmackDown Women's Champion. Really, really good match. Let me tell you how good that match was. That match was so good that they had to have a let me up match, as McMahon calls it. You gotta have a let me up match after someone is had a great match. You want to have something that's a little bit lighter. So they went with Bobby Lashley versus Slapjack. Years ago, that was reversed. Someone would, two, two guys or a great tag team match would take place, and then they'd bring the women's match in for the let me up for like three or four minutes. Shows you how t- things have changed. Bailey and Sasha was so hot, and McMahon's philosophy is okay, we get to have something to simmer the audience down. And he brings out Bobby Lashley versus Slapjack. <laughs> That's how things have changed. I know. I got you, Bruce. We got you. Look at him. Look at him, Bruce. This is John and Josh right here, Bruce. You ain't got to act like this. Forget that phone call. Forget all this, man. It's all about love, Bruce. It's family, all right? It's family. No more of this. Please, no more of this. in the cell universal championship i quit you know call me old-fashioned and i'm sure if you're listening you're saying boy this guy's old-fashioned but call, call me all old-fashioned when it comes to wrestling call me old-fashioned but i like my i quit matches with a referee with a mic in his hand 
I guess that's not necessary because there's no fans in that Thunderdome. Actual fans. But call, call me old-fashioned. The WWE still needs to reach the Tully Blanchard versus Magnum TA level of an I Quit match. This I Quit match, it was a referee asking Jey Uso and asking Roman Reigns, do you quit? I guess that's fine because they got it all mic'd up and everything for the uh, audience at home. I guess you don't need that mic. Yet. But that's, to me, the old-fashioned I Quit matches I've seen over the years in various areas across the country was the ref with the mic and him having to humiliate himself or herself to say, I quit in, in the microphone. That's not what happened in this match. Once again, this match was similar to the last match that Roman Reigns had with Jey Uso. I understand the story. I want to make sure it's very clear. I understand the story that has taken place because I think the WWE has done a great job of making sure that you understand why it's important that Roman Reigns is known as the tribal chief. I understand that that's a great story, especially after the match where you see Afa and Sika they were there at the Thunderdome, and they put the lay over uh, Roman Reigns to coronate him as a tribal chief. I get that. The Samoan heritage uh, has been prevalent in wrestling for generations. So I totally understand what's going on here. Going back to the high chief Peter Maivia and uh, even Rocky Johnson and watching often seek of the Samoans and the lineage there. I totally understand it. And Roman Reigns is really tapped into his Samoan heritage by being this character. I get it. But this match was no different from the other one. Just way too much dialogue and not enough action for me. So Jey Uso has not one but two matches against Roman Reigns to prove that Roman Reigns is a tribal chief. Okay. So, in, as you just heard in a soundbite, Jimmy Uso, he comes out to try to save Jay Uso to say, hey, you know, you don't have to give him a drive-by. You didn't have to do that. And now you knocked my brother out. And look, we're family. Let's come together. Let's try to figure this out. And Roman Reigns feigns like he's crying in the ring. As I try to paint the picture for you, he's, he's crying in the ring like, you know, I don't know who I am anymore. And then Roman turns on Jimmy Uso, Right. On the other Uso. And just like, and so now Jey Uso has to say, I quit because his brother is in peril. As Roman has a naked choke hold uh, on Jimmy Uso. Just, but again, way too much dialogue. I understand the story. And I guess, I'm just thinking from the WWE standpoint, they probably look at it and say, well, there are no fans here, so we can get away with this dialogue. But you would think, as I said the first time I saw these two wrestle, that maybe you step it up a little bit, right? Step it up a little bit with the actual action. You, The question still stands, can Jey Uso in a wrestling match hang with Roman Reigns? Or is it this back-and-forth dialogue of Roman Reigns saying this, Jey Uso saying that, you know, and just kind of like it's all that talking, again, took me out of the match. It didn't take me out of the story, but I still don't know if Jey Uso can really hang with Roman Reigns because all of this back and forth talking. So, like, is Roman Reigns going to wrestle Jey Uso to, to a 10 or 20 minute matchup to see what they both can do? Or maybe because Jey Uso is limited as a tag team wrestler, maybe this is the best they could do. Just keep talking back and forth. Just trash talking one another. It's like, what is this? Imagine if this was a house show that you paid for. 
I guess it would be different, right? Those two would actually have to wrestle. But because this is a television vehicle, a, a pay-per-view, and that's the other thing too. Like, I know it's part of the WWE Network, but it's not SmackDown. It's not Raw. Like, you want to do that on those shows, that's fine. But when you get to a major pay-per-view, let's see the best of these two. Neither one of these matches were classics. It was just something to further the story. And now Roman Reigns is the tribal chief because he was uh, coordinated uh, by Afa and Sika. They got, they got the blessing of the Wild Samoans. Okay, so now the Usos will be with Roman Reigns, even though they don't want to be. They're going to be like his backups. So now it's going to be a three-man team where it's going to be kind of a... a a faction, those three, the Usos and Roman Reigns. Okay, great. I'm shrugging my shoulders. <laughs> it's like, okay, great. He's the, I mean, it, it adds more fuel to the fire that Roman Reigns is a heel. I just wish we had fans in stadiums so we could kind of see how the fans would feel. Not the Thunderdome. I'm talking about actual butts and seats. Hopefully, while uh, Roman Reigns is a heel, I'd love to hear the actual reaction from fans. But again, that didn't tell me anything about uh, Jey Uso as a single. It didn't tell me anything about it. And hopefully, we'll, I guess now that that match took place on Sunday, we won't see them anymore together in a, in a ring and a match. Uh, at least that's the hope. McIntyre. McIntyre's got to be thinking about it again. Thinking about that Claymore. Oh, I think it's time we started the countdown. Right. Can he pull it off again, Joe? Can McIntyre do it again? Payne radiated through the body of McIntyre, but now finding the resolve, finding the anger within him to continue. With his self-imposed legacy on the line. Focus is like laser, his laser light. Drew McIntyre is poised to strike the legend killer. McIntyre... Randy Orton, well done with this rivalry with Drew McIntyre. Also, an applause to Drew McIntyre as the pandemic-era champion. Congratulations to both of those guys. Another well-done rivalry by the WWE. Think about Drew McIntyre defeating 
Brock Lesnar for the championship, the WWE championship. Don't get the Universal Championship and this title. The WWE championship is a thing that you focus on. At least that's how I look at it. The All these other championships don't matter as much as the WWE championship. What Randy Orton just did, his 14th championship is the same title that Hulk Hogan, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Ric Flair, Randy Savage, Pedro Morales, Bruno San Martino, Triple H, on and on and on. Those are the guys that held that championship. So all this other stuff is way too many championships in the WWE. That's a different story. That guy's got his 14th championship, and this is his best reign. As someone that thinks that Randy Orton has coasted for about a decade, this has been his best work. There is no question in my mind. For someone that saw Randy Orton from the beginning and we saw Randy and I thought, this guy is going to be really good. The WWE didn't do Randy Orton any favors. Going from babyface to heel to babyface to heel, putting him in some weird programs and stories. But this is what a Hall of Fame talent is supposed to do. Go through terrific matches with Edge. Make Drew McIntyre. Made him. And he finally wins a championship at Hell in a Cell. That is good. And same for Drew McIntyre. Someone who's been underneath and unappreciated for a long time in the WWE. Goes to the Indies and wrestles overseas. Uh, wrestles at Impact Wrestling. Everywhere else to make a name for himself. Comes back to the WWE. And becomes the champion defeating Brock Lesnar was a champion from WrestleMania to Hell in a Cell and during the pandemic. It's too bad you can't measure whether or not Drew McIntyre was successful in the eyes of fans for live events and pay-per-views. But I say that he did a great job. It elevated himself. Randy Orton made him. Drew McIntyre made himself. So another fine rivalry, and Orton wins the championship. And I appreciate him more today than I have in a long, long time. I appreciate Randy Orton when he first came to the company, coming out of OVW, and he used fresh, uh, fresh-faced fresh heel uh, and was working with his dad on those matches on SmackDown. You could see the talent there. But once again, I don't think the company did him any favors, just the way that they booked him and certain matches and all that. He won a lot of championships being with, you know, aligning himself with... Uh, Triple H and Stephanie McMahon. I mean, we saw all that. But we I saw a different gear in Randy Orton. He did more. I've seen him do more in the last year plus than I have in a long time. And so hats off to him. If anyone deserves the championship right now, it's him. And so I, I just thought that that was a really solid matchup for the WWE Championship. And congratulations not just to Randy, but to Drew McIntyre for showing personality, for him to have that Claymore kick people, something that people look forward to, a big guy that was doing, I think, a lot of great things while he was champion. So hats off to both of those guys. Really well done. Daniel Bryan retiring. Is Daniel Bryan going to be retiring soon? It sounds like he is winding up his career. I've been reading a lot about it, and I watched Daniel Bryan on Talking Smack with Kayla Braxton and Sami Zayn. Does this sound like a man that's winding up his career? I'm at a point now in my life and in my career 
where I want to test myself against the best people in WWE and people I haven't faced yet, uh-huh. right? And so, like, and people I have faced because yeah. we've all evolved, right? And we've all evolved in different ways. Like, I am notably, and this is something I noticed in the AJ Styles match where I lost the championship, I am noticeably, I have less spring in my step as a match goes on. I've never had a problem with endurance, and I still don't get tired. But later in the match... I can't jump as high, and AJ can, and all of a sudden, and he's older than me, and I was like, how is this fair, how is this possible, I trained my butt off, and like, yeah, so, it, so, as we evolve, and as we do these things, I see this, you know, I look at wrestling a little bit differently, to me, this is my, this is my martial art, with a focus more on the artistic side, where this is a test of myself, like, when I go out there, when I do an interview, when I do a match, it's, it's a test of me, and my opponents are giving me examples of what I need to work on as a human, what I need to work on as an athlete, what I need to work on as a wrestler. Well, Daniel, you... Interesting thoughts there from Daniel Bryan. He mentioned in his conversation on Talking Smack that he wants to take on Grand Metalik. He believes he's the best luchador in the WWE. It um, sounds like that he might be winding up his career sometime in the very near future. And uh, hopefully, uh, it'll be a situation where he can find the opponent that he wants to put over and make them better. I heard uh, Bully Ray, we're not going to play it here, I'll just tell you what he said. Bully Ray was on Busted Open uh, on Sirius XM and said that one wrestler that he would like to see Daniel Bryan uh, help out is Chad Gable, Shorty G. He believes that if Daniel's going to leave, he thinks that Chad Gable would be someone that Daniel could put over and leave the business knowing that he put over a, another you know, smaller wrestler, but yet someone that's very talented and underrated. So I, I like that idea uh, big time. So we'll keep our eyes on Daniel Bryan on SmackDown. Uh, he mentioned that he has some ideas to try to turn SmackDown into something more spectacular. Who knows? But it sounds like he might be winding up his career. We'll see. Okay. We are 30 minutes into this podcast, and I've done my WWE notes, and so we've got to get to the main event. And that, my friends, is All Elite Wrestling. If you go to the archives of this podcast, you just heard me recently talk about the 10 things that the AEW have to be able to do, some things I like and some things I don't like. As a matter of fact, I'm sure I was fair because I had five things that AEW needs to work on and five things that I think they're doing very well. So if you've missed that, go into the archives of the Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday podcast and look for it right there. It was just a couple of weeks ago because AEW had crossed their threshold of being on the air for one year with Dynamite. <sighs> You know, I remember when WCW Nitro first came on the air and their first match, their first card was at the Mall of America in Minneapolis. It was an idea by Eric Bischoff to have the first Nitro in his backyard, a place that he knew very well from being in the AWA in Minneapolis. And then it just moved on from city to city and... You know, Nitro was not very good in his first year plus. They had some good matches, sure. Absolutely. The first match, when you think about Jushin Thunder Liger and Flying Brian, I mean, they had some good matches. But they were trying to figure out who they were. 
you know, for a while, it was Kevin Sullivan's Dungeon of Doom, just a bunch of just big guys for Hogan to trash. It was the Dungeon of Doom led by Kevin Sullivan, the cartoonish Dungeon of Doom taking on Hulk Hogan. And Randy Savage comes over, Bobby Heenan comes over. And so the show evolved. And to the point where the NWO was the hottest thing for 83 weeks or more on WCW television. They expanded. They got so big that they could not handle what was going on internally. You hear all the excuses about why WCW had to close its doors on 83 Weeks of Eric Bischoff. If you listen to his podcast, it's never him. It's Mike Graham. It's Greg Gagne. It's Dusty Rhodes. It's Ric Flair. Uh, it's never Eric. It's everybody else in between. Kevin Nash. All these people. Hulk Hogan. It's everyone's fault except Eric's. And WCW could be open now, but it's not because there was too many cooks in the kitchen. Too many different boys with the pencil making their claim on what they think is entertaining. And Eric Bischoff sitting in the back, not at a grill position, sitting in an office watching the show like a fan. But that was years and years ago. And since WCW closed their doors, there has been this, this feeling of, wow, we need to have something to take on the WWE. Another promotion in which we can look at a strong number two. And not TNA. And T- when you look back at TNA, they had some tremendous action. But even when TNA was really trying to go after the WWE, they had all the talent and couldn't do anything with it. As you well recall, when you saw Mick Foley, Hulk Hogan, Eric Bischoff, the Dudley Boys, uh, the Hardys, or at least Matt Hardy, uh, or Jeff Hardy during that time. At least Jeff Hardy was there. And Christopher Daniels, and Low Key, and... Uh, Ron Killings, on and on and on. They had uh, so many talented wrestlers at TNA, and they still could not be able to get even a sniff of what the WWE was doing on a regular basis. It was always known as number two. And so there's been other promotions that have been out there trying to be able to just get a little bit of the WWE shine. The WWE is the big dog in the yard. And what you're looking for if you're a wrestling promotion is to try to be able to have your alternative to the WWE. As I mentioned to open our TWT show here today, there are so many on social media that complain about what the WWE does, whether it's you know bad skits or bad comedy or repetitive comedy or the same things over and over again, and people are looking for something fresh and something new. All Elite Wrestling is beating the hell out of NXT every Wednesday. And it's very few times where we saw NXT be able to get the advantage of AEW because AEW fans are diehards. There's no question about that. And I've always looked at AEW and graded them with a curve because just because you have a promotion out there for your first year doesn't make you Monday Night Raw. Doesn't mean that you're going to have threes and fours with ratings because it takes time. You are still trying to build an audience. So I, I totally get it when it comes to AEW where they're going to throw some things against the wall to see if they stick because they have to do that. You're going to go through growing pains. As I mentioned in that podcast a few weeks ago, there's some things I like about AEW and some things that I do not. And one of the things I do not like about AEW is that there are too many boys with the pencil. When we found out the infrastructure of the company with Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks and Cody Rhodes, so all these guys have a pencil. 
Now, ultimately, Tony Khan has a sign off on these things. But I can imagine in 20 years, whatever a podcast is for wrestling in 20 years, when people review All Elite Wrestling, if it's still around, people will look at this first year plus and say, wait, there was a, uh, a match in which Jericho lost to a guy with his hands in his pocket in Orange Cassidy? Wait, we saw a match where it was two people wrestling in a dentist office? Wait, we saw a match that it had this or had that or had these stipulations or had these mistakes. What was going on that first year? The hope is that in year five, that a lot of the stuff that we're seeing here is cleaned up where you don't have green wrestlers in the, in the ring screwing up where you're not seeing some mistakes. And again, that's not all of all elite wrestling, but I will tell you something that I thought for me, for my taste as a wrestling fan, uh, was unforgivable. Uh, that was MJF and Chris Jericho on this past AEW Dynamite episode. See? We're already getting through our differences, Chris. I mean, come on. Just picture it. Us. Together. Sticks to the wall Like the seashore Clings to the sea Like you'll never Get rid of your shadow Chris you'll never Get rid of me Let all the Others fight and fuss Whatever Happens We than pages that stick in a book we're closer than ripples that play in a brook so wherever you'll find him you'll find me just a closer than a recliner thrown at Hardy's forehead guys are me we're closer than snakes are they slide through the grass we're closer than Cody's to a jackass not a soul can bust this team we stick together like glue And when it's sleeping time That's when we rise We start to swing Swing to the sky Our clocks don't chime What a surprise They, they ring A ding ding happy new year And now to repeat what I said at the start You'll need a large crowbar to break us apart we're alone, but far from blue. Before we can finish, we'll make the town roar. We'll make all the late spots and then a few more. We wind up at dailies and then the fourth floor. Life is gonna be we while we. Chris? Listen, Maxwell. Would you do me a favor? What do you want now? Would you mind taking it one more time? From the top? No, from the ending. Wonderful! And while we are swinging to mention a few We'll drop in a chili's and young box screw you We'll 
beat up a Moxley, whatever we do, life is gonna be, we won't we. Yeah, that happened on All Elite Wrestling. And the music doesn't give it justice if you have not seen MJF and Chris Jericho singing in the middle of AEW Dynamite. I, I mean, I was bumfuzzled. I was flabbergasted. I said, what in the hell is this shit? Really? I mean, here's who I am as a wrestling fan. I'm just that, a wrestling fan. There's always going to be bad skits. There's always going to be bad comedy because wrestling always tries to extend itself to more than what it really is, and that should just be the competition with great interviews uh, and, and great action. Now, wrestling will always try. Even the most starch, stringent wrestling shows, they will always try to be able to do something outside of the norm because they think that they are a variety show or a comedy show or, an over, or a drama show or dramedy show. This here was the worst of AEW. It was the worst of AEW. Because it's not about those two singing. It's about the action in the ring. It's about trying to get guys over. What did that do for MJF? What did it do for Chris Jericho? Yes, it was three and a half minutes, but the point is that what did that do for the show? For those that just be able to sing. You know what that was? That's Chris Jericho going to Tony Khan saying, we're going to do a Steve and Edie routine from the 1960s. If you're a young person that doesn't know who Steve and Edie is, yeah, exactly. You should know who that is. <laughs> a Steve and Edie routine in the middle of a wrestling show. That's Chris Jericho once again pushing the envelope. All this, the stuff that we've seen, the silly shit that he's done on AEW, if he did in the WWE, he'd be criticized. He's a, and, I, and I'm criticizing him doing this in AEW. These are probably things that he came to Vince with, and Vince was like, no, pal, let's do this instead. Maybe you go in there and wrestle, or maybe you turn babyface and heel and babyface and heel. And I said that that was better. But I, I'm watching this shit, and I'm just like, is this really in the middle of my wrestling show? Like, like, and for those that just need your haha and need your funny, well, you got it if you think that it was entertaining. I don't know what that does for all elite wrestling outside of just Jericho just pretty much pushing his power on Tony Khan saying, I'm going to do this. I think this would be great for the show. And Tony says, yes. For, a, for someone who is a pro wrestling fan, a sports entertainment fan, does Tony Khan think that that really enhanced his show? I don't care what rating that thing got. It just was not in place. It, it wasn't in place. I want to make sure it's very clear. There's some things in wrestling that you just need to leave out. Some things that just don't have a place. That did not have a place at all. It was stupid. That did nothing for either one of those guys. 
And you say, well, maybe they should just they should just be on there and wrestle. No, they need to be able to to continue to move this storyline along for MJF eventually to take over the inner circle over Chris Jericho. More than likely, that's going to happen. That did nothing for AEW. Nothing. Just it's it's just stupid. And I, I just don't understand it. I'll give you an example, as I always do. You say, well, Hood, why are you so hard on this? I mean, it was so funny. It was so great. I got text messages for 24 hours straight from people, from my friends listening in Bristol, Connecticut. I know that you're listening from ESPN Radio in Bristol, Connecticut, to people in the Midwest, to people out West, other organizations. People that work in other organizations texted me and said, hey, Hood, what did you think of that? I'll tell you what I think of it. It was the shits. And it did nothing for either one of these guys. But I got to give you an example of why that type of uh, material, that type of action is bad for a wrestling show. Something in which you have an idea, but maybe you should leave it out. It was a fever dream. I can't believe I was watching it in the middle of a show. It was crazy. Let me tell you when WCW died. When When the beginning of the end started for WCW. January 4th, 1999. Are you familiar with that date? January 4th, 1999. World Championship Wrestling. 45,000 people at the Georgia Dome to see Nitro. Because you got to have 45,000 people at Nitro in Atlanta, right? The reason why that happened is because there was Turner executives there. And there were people that wanted to see the show in Atlanta. And they said, okay, we're going to show you how well the company's doing. We're going to fill the Georgia Dome with 45,000 screaming fans. And we're going to hotshot the territory by having Hulk Hogan, a returning Hulk Hogan, come back to WCW to take on Kevin Nash. And because Kevin Nash is no longer with the NWO and there's Hulk Hogan coming back and it's going to be a hell of a match. 45,000 people screaming, yelling into this matchup. And then... Finger poke of doom. So as they are side by side and then they lock up and then Hogan puts a finger in Nash's chest and then Nash immediately falls down. Hogan pins on one, two, three. Oh, they swerved the fans. They swerved everybody. People thought that Hogan and Nash were not uh, not friends anymore because Hogan was on the outs and Nash was on the outs. And the one finger poke of doom and Hogan wins the championship. 
45,000 people at Georgia Dome saw a two-minute, not even, I just played a minute 11, a one-minute world title match, the buildup of Hogan versus Nash, and that happened. Why did that happen? It's because the organization, it was just out of control. It was out of control. That was the beginning of the end. Think about if you were in that crowd and you knew it was Nash versus Hogan and you're part of 45,000 people and then that's the finish. A one-minute match where Hogan pushes Nash into the chest with his finger and then pins him one, two, three. When in doubt, you leave it out. It didn't fit. That did not fit. 1999, WCW was still viable. It was still viable in the, on the wrestling landscape. And then that happened. Amazing. I'll give you another example. I'm Kurt Hennig. And Big Scott Hall. The tag team champs will take on them all. So bring on the long ride of those dirt balls. The most will smear those bushes. Use the wrestle rock rumble. I'll spare you the rest of it. Russell Rock Rumble. You know what that is? For someone who grew up watching the AWA in Chicago, it was always about pro wrestling. It was Vern Gagne's American Wrestling Association. And because Vince McMahon was doing the Slammy Awards and singing Stand Back and all that stuff, Someone thought it was a good idea for the AWA, a just a solid wrestling show, to do the Russell Rock Rumble to the tune of the Super Bowl Shuffle from the 1985 Chicago Bears. And as you can hear, that did not fit. Why did they turn into thinking that they can rap Kurt Hennig, Scott Hall, 
Crusher Blackwell, Greg Gagne. Why? Who thought that that was a good idea? Understand the point? What we saw there from Chris Jericho and from MJF, it wasn't necessary. It was not necessary. So why do it? Why did the AWA do a Wrestle Rock Rumble? Torture, right? How about a little more? You want to live? How about a little more? How about more Wrestle Rock Rumble? I mean, it's unbelievable. Why would they do this in 1986. Larry Zabisco doing the Russell Rock Rumble. Yeah, out of place. Just like that for AEW's out of place. I will not be watching AEW for the rest of 2020. I'm just letting you know. Uh, we will have reports on their pay-per-views and kind of but I am not watching that until 2021. It it I mean that it was is it that serious? Yes, it is. Because MJF, if you go back and listen to the prior podcast, Josh Lopez and I were doing our draft, and Josh said, my number one draft pick, he had the first pick, he took MJF, and he should take MJF. The guy's under 25, he's got, he's got a gift to gab, a great promo, and we haven't even seen the best of him in the ring as, as of yet. And you don't even see him in the ring enough. I don't know why they don't even put him in the ring. That guy should be on every other week. Promo one week, wrestle the next week. Promo the next week and just continue to build the momentum. You hardly even see this guy wrestle, which is just amazing. The next quote-unquote Roddy Piper is doing a song and dance routine with Chris Jericho. Why? It, it just it, I'm just baffled by that. Now, there's two schools of thought here. There's... Uh, uh, thought that, well, that was great because it was funny, and people thought that that was hilarious, in which I don't necessarily have to have, I don't need comedy in my wrestling. I don't need comedy in my UFC or my boxing. And you say, well, it's professional wrestling. You got to have, not not necessarily. If that was the case, then I would have been this really big-time WWE fan growing up, which I was not, because it was, it was cartoonish. I was tuned in to see the competition. That's how I grew up watching wrestling, the competition and the promos. Definitely the promos. And you don't even get MJF to do that all the time. So, as I mentioned, there's two schools of thought about this. You would imagine what Jim Cornette said, right? And then you can imagine what Dave Meltzer and Brian Alvarez said. So let's hear their thoughts on what happened on AEW. I do not have words. I do not know what to think about the people involved in this from start to finish. I don't know why anybody thought that. Well, I do. The people that thought this was a good idea were the people that are masturbating themselves on television every week. Whether it be the the mental masturbation of the alleged amateur armchair booker that's running this fiasco or the masturbation from the 
past his expiration date oversized canned ham that has taken over this program and turned it into the Carol Burnett show when Jim Neighbors would guest. I don't know what to say about this thing. I do know one thing. I will I will make the apology that I've already made on Twitter. I apologize for complimenting anyone ever. I apologize for saying anything good about anyone ever because in and I will not do it as freely anymore because I'm tired of getting burnt. Whenever I do say good things about modern wrestlers, invariably they make me look like an idiot. Remember when I like I went to MLW and I liked old Mance Warner? And then I found out he was on every independent show all every weekend doing staple gun matches and wrestling the invisible man. And I had to quit putting him over. MJF had it. The one guy, the one guy in this company, the one guy on their entire roster that not only had it, but was still young enough to use it. The one heel who looked and talked and worked like who he was supposed to be. And he's blown the image. Name another heel that looks good enough to be a a star wrestler, looks like enough of an athlete with enough size, can cut a promo as a top guy and work psychologically like he's a top guy, like he's real and like he's who he's supposed to be. Name another heel on this roster besides MJF. I can't. Name another face that a baby face that that fits that description besides Cody that looks good like an athlete that can cut a fucking promo that sounds like he would say these things and can fucking work like that guy should be able to work if he's real. Another baby face besides Cody. Off the top of my head, I can't. So they had two and now they've got one. MJF had he rode back with me from one of the MLW tapings in Black Beauty to the hotel in Chicago, which was like 30, 40 minutes away. So it was we the MLW tapings in Chicago were in Cicero, and it is a horrible looking neighborhood filled with vacant lots and industrial parks and a lot of fucking barbed wire and people sitting around on the corners of the streets that you probably wouldn't want to go up and engage in casual conversation with. Not a, not a sharp neighborhood. We're leaving, going back to the truck in the parking lot. And of course, since this was just last year, it's long after the days when there actually were uniformed policemen to escort the talent out because nobody needs that anymore. MJF is being MJF to the people then. To the point, I mean, he's not like he's getting in everybody's face and screaming and cussing them, but as he's walking to the to the truck through the parking lot, people are saying shit to him, and he's blowing them off, insulting them, and keeping moving as he goes. He's being a rude dick to the point where I was like, you know what, fuck. We're out here in fucking Cicero in this neighborhood. Maybe you ought to lighten up and be a little nicer to these people. I almost said that. That's how fucking committed he was. And now I don't know which one he is, whether he's Steve Lawrence or Edie Gourmet. But it's overtaken him, too. They've not only decided to fucking take the rest of their program and flush it down the porcelain throne, but they are now infecting 
the few people they had that could do this right. Long story short, it breaks down into a Broadway number. And Jericho and MJF, they're singing, they're dancing, they got dancing women behind them. I mean, it's the most preposterous thing that you've ever seen. I was crying as I watched this. If you want to add, by the way, to the list of things that MJF is great at, I mean, Jericho obviously is a rock star. MJF, that was MJF singing. He was so good that at first I was like, God, did they get someone like doing, and he's like lip syncing, they got somebody else to do the, no, that was MJF. He is a very, very talented man. So they do their whole song and dance number. It is objectively incredible. Whether you subjectively liked it or not, I mean, I don't care. But objectively, the performance was unbelievable by these two guys. And then they sit back down again, and they announce that next week will be the town hall. Now, I will get into the criticism first, because there have been some criticisms. Some people just didn't like a song and dance number on a wrestling show. They thought it was ridiculous. Some people were like, wait a second. They were supposed to meet to decide whether MGF was going to join, and then next week they've got a... They've got a town hall meeting to determine whether he'll join, but these guys are the best friends. Listen, maybe they could have had the announcer say something about it afterwards, but in my opinion, as a viewer, I believe that Chris Jericho and MGF are totally on the same page. They both are dying to have MGF join the inner circle. And the holdup is the rest of the inner circle. It's been like this from the day they started this angle. MJF goes into the room and and Sammy hates him and Sammy doesn't trust him and Jericho says he might be telling the truth or whatever it was that Jericho said. Jericho has always trusted MJF. Now, MJF, I believe in the end, months down the road, I believe that MJF is probably going to turn on Chris Jericho and he'll lead the inner circle and they'll all kick Chris Jericho out and the storyline goes from there and Chris Jericho is going to be a huge baby face. All right, but in the meantime... I, as a viewer, believe that Jericho wants MJF in the inner circle because he respects him. MJF wants into the inner circle because he wants to ultimately take it over. But right now, both guys are on the same page, and they're two totally douchey heels that think that everything that they do is awesome, and they do this song and dance number on AEW Dynamite. Brian Alvarez thought it was awesome, not awesome, awesome. MJF and Chris Jericho. I will not be watching AEW for the rest of the year. I'm done. It's insulting. Silly. Like, like, how am I supposed to invest in MJF MJF as a character when he's doing that? He was the last hope, as Jim Cornette said. He's the last guy. I watched him in MLW. I was there in Cicero to see him. I mean, he is a pure heel. And there he is dancing and prancing around. And for those of you longtime WWF fans back in the days, like, well, what about the Slammies? And what about, Co-? like, I wasn't into that either. And you can't convince me either way. Like, I'm a professional wrestling fan. And I really like the in-ring action. I love promos. I love builds. I love stories. That's not a story. That is just jagging off. That's what that was on TNT. Just jagging off. Just because they can, that's what they do. And that's not right. To me. So as a fan, I'm not triggered by it, but I just know that I could spend other 
I could spend a lot more time really analyzing SmackDown and Raw and uh, NXT and NXT UK and MLW when it returns and New Japan. I could spend more time on that than AEW. And I know AEW is a show that is popular. It had a better demo with a younger audience than SmackDown this past Friday. But I, I like there's wasting my time with that. It's wasting my time. I'm not watching two dudes dance and do a 1960s soft shoe routine on my wrestling show. I'm not watching that. It's craziness. It's silliness. AEW, just remember now. Remember, wrestling has made their mistakes before where you see something that's totally out of the norm and all of a sudden it goes away. The AWA thing I just played for you, the Russell Rock, everything's going well. Then they start doing that and fans start scratching their head like, wait, these guys are singers now? They're trying to be like the WWE? No. AW is supposed to be the alternative to WWE, not alternative WWE. Remember I said that. It's not supposed to be uh, a show that's you know, kind of like, or WWE light, many organizations have folded or have fallen by the wayside because they're trying to be like the WWE. You're trying to be the alternative to, not alternative WWE. It's a big difference. Chris Jericho was on the Dan Lebertard show at Stugatz and explained himself uh, on their show. Uh, Jericho, I love what you guys are doing. You have gone full on ham uh, as champion over there. I saw a video the other day of you like dancing around a table, singing like a show tune from the fifties. Like, uh, and I love how you embrace that cheese, like the the heavy metal rock star that you are. Well, I mean, the thing with with wrestling, um, and what I do is always try and push the boundaries of what the kind of the tropes are in the business. So when we had this idea and we said, we're going to go have a steak dinner and it's a steak dinner. Are you kidding me? I wanted to make it seem like it was the most, you know, revel- revelational thing ever. And everyone's like, Oh, it's just going to be a food fighter. What are they going to do? Meanwhile, the whole time I knew what we were going to do. And that's something that had never been done before in wrestling. Me and my shadow with MJF and myself. And we sang it ourselves and we choreographed the dance routine with the, the cheerleaders from the, from the Jaguars. And, uh, it definitely turned <laughs> it was, business on its head, It was so funny. Okay, I want to talk about this for a second. Like, how long did that bit, did you have to perform that bit? Well, the thing is, it's, it's funny because when you're in this business, it's very much guerrilla filmmaking. So, you know, if, if that was a Hollywood production, it probably would have taken four or five days to get that down. If it was Saturday Night Live, you rehearsed it for six days. We rehearsed it basically for about an hour and then recording over the course of six hours. And then the next day, it was on Tuesday night, the next day we had to edit it. We had some issues, some technical problems, some legal problems. So we got that thing uh, signed, sealed, and delivered to the to the truck, shall we say, 22 minutes before it aired. So hold on. So does, that's what people don't wait, know about did, live TV. So wait, did Sinatra's estate have to approve the music? Is that what the delay was? Well, it's a little bit more intricate than that. But yes, I mean, we, we've been working on this for a month when I had the idea, like, who's the publisher? And then you have to go track it down. And, like, not to get too far deep in the weeds, but it's not Sa- uh, Sammy and Frank's song. They just sang it. Someone else wrote it. Who's the publisher? You know, some old-school Hollywood guy, 80 years old, like, well, Professor Wrestling, 
Why was I using Frankie Song? <laughs> That's a great 80-year-old right there. He's a great guy who was 80 years old. He sounded like Hollywood show business in the 50s there, that guy. Um, now, so hold on. Explain this to me because um, do you hear from other wrestlers who are like, what are you doing? Like, what are you, you're turning it on its head. I'm laughing. I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, wow. He's spoofing the whole thing. But do you have like Hulk Hogan calling you? Like, what are you doing? Well, the thing is, and it wasn't even spoofing. I mean, we took it very seriously, and that's why it works. Any type of comedy that I do, you play it straight. And it was very Blues Brothers influenced, if you've seen that movie, where they're doing something, and then out of nowhere, this giant song and dance breaks up. And as soon as it's over, they go back to what they were doing and don't acknowledge it at all. That's the humor of it. And if you look at the way I grew up in 80s WWF, they were doing things like the Slammy Awards. I remember watching Vince McMahon yeah. singing Stand Back with Hulk Hogan on bass and Dancing Girls and this is where the ridiculous powder blue tuxedos. That's kind of how I was born into the business. So I, I've always had that element. And everything that I do has a little bit of, the, of that wink behind it, which is maybe why people consider a lot of my stuff so entertaining because I don't take myself seriously, but I always play it straight. I always make sure whether you like the segment or whether you didn't like it, you can't deny the fact that it was that it was good. It was well done, well performed. If you hate song and dances in your wrestling, I get it. It's such an important it's such an important diluter if you hate song and dance with your wrestling. Like, like I, who is the wrestler most likely to be appalled that you would even try that as an entertainment? and as a comedic vehicle? Like, is there a wrestler out there who, who would take himself or the sport too seriously and think that you're just being disrespectful? I mean, I, I really don't know because in this day and age, wrestling has become so many different things. There's some of your old school puns that hate everything that we do anyways, but anybody, like I'll tell you who would love it, Vince McMahon. Anybody that's done with you would understand what we're doing. They might not care for it, but they're going to stand up. It's always been part of our business, always been part of our world, and that's one thing I, I enjoy doing. Like, I've had, you know, 2,700 wrestling matches times, you know, 10 bumps per match. You know, that's a lot of falling and getting thrown around. So when I get a week when I just get to do a song and dance, uh, you know, I think that's a pretty good way to, to continue, you know, your longevity in, in, in the business. Well, you're, as long as Vince likes it, I guess it's okay. Heard that at the end from Chris Jericho on the Dan Lebertard show with Stu Gotts, right? I know someone to really like it. Vince McMahon, he would really love that. Well, I didn't know that you were doing that for Vince. Unbelievable. In five years, they can't be doing stuff like this if they want to be a viable company. Just saying, if they're around. It just, I was stunned by that. And no, I don't like a dance routine in my wrestling. I like wrestling in my wrestling. I like promos in my wrestling. I like drama and a great storyline in my wrestling. That's what I like. Like we saw in Hell in the Cell, for, as a matter of fact. As we saw in the WWE. Storyline payoff this past Sunday. How about that? Unbelievable. It's your first year plus, but is that going to be a routine? Is that going to be a regular thing? Jeez. Thanks for listening to Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Don't forget to support the show, Captain J Hood Mornings, between 7 and 10 a.m. Central Time on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. And, and hit me up on Twitter, at WrestlingTWT. What am I missing? I like wrestling with my wrestling. Are you offended that I like wrestling with my wrestling? 
I like promos with my wrestling. I like story with my wrestling. <laughs> They're dancing. MJF, they're the biggest heels in the business. And Chris Jericho. And when Levitard asked, you know, you know, who who would be offended by that? Well, I don't know anyone would be offended by that in 2020, but I know someone would really like it. It's Vince McMahon. Well, if that's the case, why aren't you still working for the WWE? I thought you left because you didn't have creative freedom, because you couldn't do the things you want to. Now he's doing whatever he wants. Maybe he'll be in another mimosa match. Maybe that'd be an annual thing. Because everyone can't wait for that again. Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Talk to you next week. Until then, so long for now.